Hey, Haley. Yeah, Alyssa? Are you ready to change the narrative around women's sports? Let's do it. You are listening to Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski, and this is the Iron Women Podcast, a production from Live Feisty Media. Haley and Alyssa are longtime professional triathletes and coaches. Between them, they have completed more than 50 iron distance races and just as many 70.3s. Their accomplished careers include nine professional wins and one fastest known time. Haley, do I have to tell the listeners how many of those wins are mine? Nah, we'll keep that between us. The Iron Women podcast has a Patreon community which helps support our podcast. If you love the podcast, check us out at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And don't forget to tell a friend. Now, let's get to the show. Haley, it only took a global pandemic for me to realize how much I truly appreciated swimming and to make open water swimming something I am actually eager to do. Then you'll be super excited for our new 2020 partnership with Orca Wetsuits. Alyssa, you and our listeners can get 15% off at orca.com with the code IRONWOMEN15. This is meant to be. My first wetsuit I raced in was an Orca Wetsuit, actually, so I already know I like them. I've been trying out their Swim Run Wetsuit. Soon I'll have no excuse not to race one of those events. Thanks to Orca for getting us set up to tackle all the open water swim action. Don't forget, that's code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. The Iron Women podcast loves Gooder sunglasses. They're made in recklessly fun colors and come in styles that actually look good. My favorite is flamingos on a booze cruise. They have translucent pink frames and teal lenses that add a pop of color to all my workout clothes. Gooder sunglasses are no slip, no bounce, and polarized. I raced in a pair of Gooders at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials earlier this year. Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing, nothing at all. Gooder sunglasses start at only $25 a pair, so no discounts are needed when they're already the most affordable performance shades on the planet. Go to gooder.com forward slash feisty. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. Check out the Live Feisty curated collection or pick up your own favorites. Look good, run gooder. Hi, Haley. How's it going this week? Hi, Alyssa. And should we be playing some kind of like Olympic soundtrack here? Because (laughs) I feel like I was stalking your social media earlier. And did you just compete in the Olympics? I mean, basically the Olympics, Haley. I don't know. I mean... Yes. The the short answer of that is yes. So with the Olympics being canceled this weekend, um, we, we being my, the coaching company that I coach for Biscay coaching, which is headed up by head coach Hillary Biscay. We were, the coaches have been brainstorming different challenges throughout the year since races have been canceled. And with the Olympics also like the real Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics being postponed, I guess, um, to next year, you know, I, I just felt like there was going to be this gaping hole in my 
August timeframe. So I suggested that we have the Biscay Coaching Olympics and Haley, it was super fun. So it consisted of two consecutive weekends of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And weekend one was Swim Olympics, where people were going to swim a timed 500 on Friday. Then on Saturday, you would do like a relay, but you, since it's like COVID times, you do every part for yourself. So it was like a four by 100 relay, but you swam four by 100 as fast as you can with one minute rest in between. And you get your best average. And then Sunday of the Swim Olympics was a uh, mile swim for time. So a 1650 or a 1650 yards or 1500 meters for time swimming. And then this this weekend was the run Olympics. And so Friday night was, or Friday was a one mile time trial running. Saturday was the relay where you had to do four by 400 with one minute rest. And then Sunday was Haley a 10K on the track for time, which was like a brilliant idea that I thought would be fun when I thought of this a couple months ago. Um, and anyway, we put everyone that we coach into teams. We have like this very elaborate scoring system and people have been partaking in the Olympics over these two weeks and it's been super fun. So I actually did not partake in swim Olympics because of scheduling and some other stuff going on, but I definitely partook in the run Olympics side of things this past week. And it was really fun. And I feel like on the podcast, Haley, we've been talking about like, what would you run a mile in for time right now? Like over the past few seasons, like sometimes that comes up. Never has it really come up. What would you run a 10K in the track on? But like, it just seemed like a really, really fun thing. So I'll start with my proudest moment, which was definitely my mile. Haley, I ran a 540. That's impressive. Is that a PR? So I would say yes. I've run faster in a downhill road mile, but like very downhill. I've run a 516 and that was like 400 feet net downhill. So I think that 540 is good and fair. And I'm just super pumped because I, I really have not been mile training at all, but it was kind of enlightening for me to see like what all the strength training I have been doing and all the time on the trails, like how that does kind of prepare you to bust out like five minutes of really hard effort. And it's like actually really fun to run when you're not just running straight uphill all the time. I had forgotten a little bit of what that's like. (laughs) And how about this 10K? I've never run a 10K on the track. What was that like? So Haley, I am on Team Humidity Coast for the, we gave the teams um, different names and the humidity was in full force. And let's just say that I finished the 10K and immediately went back and like looked up a humidity like pace adjustment that we should like be allowing ourselves for the scoring system because it was not good on Sunday. Let me just tell you that. And there is that people, if you're ever wondering, you add your temperature to the dew point and then you go on the scale and then you see, and like, according to this one website that I read, I should have gotten a four to 6% pace adjustment for my 10K, which is like huge, right? Yeah, that's a significant adjustment. Yeah. And based on what I ran, I mean, that was definitely right. But Haley, so you and I had, I think the last 10K I ran was with you at Peachtree like years and years ago. And all I remember is like, I, I felt like you thought I was like lost out there in the streets of Georgia because I just, I like took so long to get into the finish. It was not I don't like, remember this. I, this is like a, yeah, this was like 2013 that we ran yeah, Peachtree together. Yeah. I don't remember thinking you were lost. And that happened at my other Peachtree experience too, which are also both very hot races generally. But like, anyway, the 10K and I just have a hate, hate relationship. Like I just haven't, and I've always wanted to run it well. And I think it just proves it's a distance that like you should probably train specifically for maybe a little bit or like closer than my training has ever allowed me to be. But anyway, 
once again, it was the perfect storm of I didn't really train for this distance. It was really hot and humid and I was going for it on a track. And I was like, like, it's been my life goal to break 40 and the 10K, you know, every time I've tried. So I'm like, once again, I'm going to go for it. And that lasted two miles. And then like I slowly started to it wasn't too epic. It felt quite epic as of a blow up. But it was just like the humidity really amplifying that effect. And so I finished in 4130, which again, like another 10K, another not sub 40. But Haley, I am actually inspired. And I did kind of like running it on the track. I have to say that I think we're going to use these Olympics events again in the fall. And everyone will like do another test set at some point and you get to compare your time. So I think I am going to have another another crack at it. But um, what's the what's the longest you've like ever raced on the track? I think I did the two mile in high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, that's, I mean, that's also pretty long though. Yeah. I, I did run track in high school. So I ran a couple miles and two miles. I've never done a 10 K. I've heard that it's kind of nice to like, just evenly pace things, like just get into a groove and like pace it. And so that's why I was curious. I probably should do it sometime, but it's just getting myself on a track. Did you set up like an aid station for yourself? We did. So we had three. It was me, um, my boyfriend, Matt, was running. And then another one of the athletes we trained with, Jamie, she was there. Um, and so we had like a I, – I mean, I brought everything. I brought cups. I brought like a folding table. I brought bottles and everything. I will say that like I would consider hiring someone to like hand off the bottles. <laughs> Help I would also, yeah, I also only had like large plastic, like solo cups, which aren't great aid station cups. Like I, I think I'll actually invest in some like better folding, like the kind you can like squish to, you know, make drinkable. And I, I will say too, I was just kind of reaching out of habit in some ways. Like I was so hot, but I was, I actually felt quite hydrated going into it. And like, I, I think I could have lasted without an aid station, but it was definitely nice to have it there. Um, but I finished inhaling my my face was like a beet red. Like people can see on my Instagram. I actually posted this photo. My face is like, it looks like I was like sunburnt and I'm like soaked in sweat. My, my shorts are like glued to me. And I was like, oh, this is like not going to be a fun day because I'm clearly so dehydrated from this effort. And then I remembered that Haley noon hydration has come to save the day yet again. And I tried out the new noon hydration product noon instant which is for our listeners. So it's different than, um, it's a powder. It comes in like a little, a little tube ish kind of thing. Like a was it sachet, sachet, sachet. That? sachet. <laughs> a packet or a sachet sachet. I think I just combined a few words, but it's like a, a sachet isn't a word. <laughs> I don't it? know. We need to Google this. <laughs> okay. So anyway, it comes in a, something a packaging form that is different than a tab because it is a powder so it gives you like a single serving of powder and you pour it in it is five times less sugar and four times the electrolytes as traditional sports drinks 25 calories but major it's just a major hit of sodium there's 520 milligrams of sodium actually in here and five grams of sugar and then some vitamins some magnesium etc so I was super excited. It's like basically something, you know, you use noon sport, noon endurance, like through your activities as you're trying to stay hydrated. This is for like that ship has sailed. You are dehydrated. Let's get on the like fast track back to feeling normal. That's what noon instant is for. So I tried the lemon lime flavor this weekend and I really like it. It's definitely going to have a place in my my rotation 
not that I ever want to get myself that dehydrated by running 10Ks on the track in the humidity all the time just to, to have it. But I do think um, people who have like harsher summer conditions can use it quite regularly. Or like if you're up at altitude, staying hydrated is really important. That's definitely a good use for noon instant too. I'm excited to try it. Also, I just did Google this for you. Here you go. Sashay. Could it you hear that? <laughs> I just think sachet, like that song, like sachet, sachet. Isn't that like a song, like a dance song or something? Or like a square dance move? I don't know. Haley, I, I mean, you're right, but um, we'll see. If our listeners have an opinion, you can also write into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and let us know. Yeah. And um, well, speaking of that, I I entered our contest that we have going on right now, our Zelios skincare contest did you get my entry because Alyssa actually she she monitors that account (laughs) um, so I like I was pleasantly I was like oh a Haley wrote in like this will be exciting and then I was like oh it's my Haley (laughs) but you are one of the the entries that we got in this week so yes tell our listeners what you did I went for a gravel ride on my mountain bike and this is like a big deal for me because I, I, ha- I got a mountain bike a couple years ago, but when I, when I got it, it was a toy for the future. I could get it affordably. And I knew that mountain biking isn't really like something I, I do a lot and I am a little injury prone in that respect. And so I don't really have time to get injured, but a couple of my friends, the same friends who were, I had the going away party for the previous week when we went to the lake and didn't really swim. Uh, they didn't quite get their visas. So we had another party and I, I use the word party, I guess a little liberally here because it was a three person party, but, um, <laughs> so we went gravel. They convinced me to go gravel riding my friends, Joe and Steph before they did. Well, at least Steph actually got her visa and left for London, but we went on this loop that I've run parts of it before, but I had never gone like the direction they went. And it was so cool, Alyssa, because it was like exploring something that's in my backyard in a totally new way and I was on my mountain bike which is flat pedals because I was like nervous but it actually was like so much fun and I had no data I didn't even wear a watch oh and we saw a bear what like a grizzly bear a black bear thankfully okay whoo and they yeah. were like I had we were descending and then they like stopped because we'd seen a cow earlier like a little calf that had gotten out and it kind of looked the same and then it turned and Joe was like, oh, those aren't cow ears. <laughs> and so um, it was a bear. And then we like yelled and it ran away. And then we were like yelling and like talking as we rode by. And luckily it didn't come back. But it was a pretty big black bear. But yes, thankfully it was a bear. It was a black bear, not a grizzly bear. If it was a grizzly bear, you might be hosting this solo this week. <laughs> but, um, I shouldn't laugh about that. But no, um, no, not it was all. a lot of fun. And I did think it was contest worthy. So to recap our contest, if anyone didn't listen last week, Zelio Skincare, one of our sponsors, is giving three of our listeners a tube of active recovery race relief cold therapy gel. To win, you write into our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, and tell us what you did that was a challenge that's a little bit unusual for you or in a different way and maybe made you a little sore. So you need um, some cold therapy gel. The active ingredient in this gel is menthol. And so it has that cooling sensation when you put it on. It um, is fantastic. I did have a little bit of soreness. Uh, riding with flat pedals, it like got my like calves more sore, I think. I guess because you, you do a lot of pushing and not you don't get the pull because you're not clipped in, right? 
Yeah, maybe that was it. And I think like, I don't know, it was a different saddle. So there was some soreness in other areas as well, but nothing some uh, Zelio Skincare Active Recovery Race Relief Gel couldn't fix. So definitely if you are doing any kind of unique challenges, this contest is running through August 23rd and we're going to pick three lucky listeners. Just to clarify, if you are having some uncomfortableness because of your saddle, you actually would like to, you should get the Zelios product Betwixt, which is the chamois cream product to help with that. Not the race relief product for the chamois issues on new saddles, because that will give you probably an entirely different issue if you mix up those two things. Oh, I'm just saying like you, if you have soreness, like glute soreness, there's a muscle there. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I should have been clear. I had some glute soreness. Um, it. Race relief is for your muscles. Um, yeah, not to be confused with a uh, chamois cream. <laughs> but if you want the chamois cream, you can go to teamzelios.com and get 15% off with the code IRONWOMAN. But if you want to win a free tube of active recovery race relief gel, do a challenge, tell us about it, and you may win. And of course, if you would like to try the Noon Instant, head to NoonLife.com and use the code LiveFeisty with a capital L and a capital F for 30% off there too. Okay. And we got to talk about challenges, Alyssa, because you teased me a little bit last week with this talk of a challenge that you have coming up. You tease me, you tease the listeners. Can you spill the beans? I, I'm just like, I'm not finding any clues in your social media. And so I just decided to ask you while we're recording. Haley, I am ready to spill the beans. So are you ready for this one? On Monday, August 17th, I will be starting out on another attempt for a fastest known time. This time I am going for a record in the Adirondacks. It's for the 46 high peaks in the Adirondacks. And this is very different from the long trail. Um, The long trail was like an established trail. There were white blazes. That was the trail. That's what you do. This one is different. So there are 46 uh, mountains above 4,000 feet, we'll say, that have been called the 46 high peaks in the area. I will say that like several of them have now, as science has gotten better, they figured out they're actually like not quite 4,000 feet. So the, the, but the list for like historical purposes is always these 46 peaks and that's what it is. And so there is like speed records, just like on the long trail or the Appalachian trail and things like that. There's like some mountain ranges where the speed record is to like climb all of the mountains as fast as you can. And for most of these, you get to like make your own route. You don't have to stay on trail. You can do some bushwhacking. Um, It's totally up to you to do that. You can drive between the trailheads if you're doing a supportive attempt, which I will be doing. And uh, yeah, so very different. 46 peaks. I've made my route. I feel good about the route. I start Monday. Another exciting aspect of this, Haley, is that I found out uh, about a month ago that I was actually not the only woman who was looking to do this attempt. And so... I talked to Sarah Keys, who was the other woman who was kind of training and planning for it. And there actually is no women's record time on the books right now. So her and I were just kind of like, you know what? Like we're eyeballing the same time frame. Let's just do it and pick the same start date and go for it. And whoever, you know, may the best woman win and kind of get the record. So we're both going to start on the 17th. And honestly, I would like to say like, you can you can track us both and see, but quite honestly, because we both made our own routes and um, they won't be the same, that 
it's going to be pretty impossible for the average human to figure out who is like ahead at any given time. It's going to be like a hurry up and wait kind of thing as you guys will, I guess, have to just kind of wait to see who finishes first. But very exciting way to do it. I, I'm I'm pumped that like, you know, her and I are both excited about doing it this way. And I think it'll be just a fun like race event almost in a year when we're not racing. This is this is the ultimate virtual race. And how long, like when you say hurry up and wait, like about how long do we think this is going to take? Like, are you targeting a certain time and how many miles do you think you'll have to cover? So the route that I have put together is a little bit over 150 miles. It has about 60,000 feet of vertical gain in that 150 miles. So there's like no flat parts, basically, as you can imagine. It's like up and down the peaks, pretty much. And the current men's record stands at three days, five hours, and two minutes. And I have kind of compared my training times with his. I don't anticipate necessarily giving him too strong a run for his money, but we'll see what I can do. But I'm hoping to finish in under four days. So that will, that's kind of like what I'm, my timeline is, but I learned so much from the long trail that, you know, I'm putting that into play. And so how long I go on, I think that fourth day will depend how much I really have learned, I think from the long trail and how much I'm able to like utilize that in this one. You mentioned the driving between trailheads. Uh, so I'm assuming supported record, you have a crew. Is this the same crew that helped you on the long trail? No. So it will be a very different crew. Um, this is taking place in New York. Uh, I have permission from New York State to be able to do this um, under their professional athlete clause with myself and a support crew. But in the interest of minimizing just like impact in a time of COVID, the majority of my crew is coming from New York and New Jersey. So totally different. The I think the only person the same, my parents will will be there. And then my boyfriend, Matt, was at the long trail, too. So so he's like the the common link. But otherwise, different people. And I heard you're doing this for a cause. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Thank you for bringing that up, Haley. So if people check out my social media on my website, alyssagadeski.com or Instagram at alyssagadeski, and I will be posting all of this information there too. Also on Facebook, I think. I have decided to use my platform to have like another cause and reason that I keep running during this thing that's going to be very hard. And about a year ago, I started working with an athlete of mine who she was training to hike the 46 high peaks as well. So we realized we had this like somewhat different but common goal between us. And we started to research the area of the Adirondacks. She had grown up kind of up there and was just interested in the history in the area. And I was like, this is actually super interesting to learn more about the area that I'm going to be spending a lot of time in. So we started researching about a year ago, a lot of the like history behind the women in the Adirondacks and their impact, because to be honest, like of the 46 high peaks, only two are named after women, right? So one, I wanted to know who those women were, but I also like that I knew there had to be more to the story of the women in the area and things like that. So uh, my athlete, Megan, and I, we put together this whole reading list and we started just digging into the history of the Adirondacks. And through that journey um, over the spring, I was reading a book called Breaking Trail, Remarkable Women of the Adirondacks. And that profiles a bunch of women who throughout history have made an impact in the area. One of those women is a woman named Alice Green, and she founded something called the Payton Institute and Retreat for Writers of Color. And so I will be running to raise money for the Payton Institute. Alice 
she she grew up in the Adirondacks. She is a black woman. She now works in like social justice as a lawyer. She um, is a, a really cool woman doing a lot of very impactful things. And this Payton Institute is just one of many things of within her legacy so far. And the goal of the Payton Institute is to bring writers of color to the Adirondacks and to sponsor them to be there for some time over the summer so that they can like be in that type of rural setting, have some peace, have some space to write, have like quiet woods around to just reflect and kind of be in their element for the writing. Um, you know, Alice was just really hopeful that it would give them the ability to to be inspired and potentially also be inspired to write about the Adirondacks and maybe inspire other people of color to, you know, go check it out and see these places that they were reading about. And so it just seemed like a really good fit for me because I know, like, you know, Haley, we know how important representation is in the media and how important representation is in literature and in things that you're reading and things like that. And so as I was researching the Adirondacks and reading all of these stories that have stayed in my mind about women in the area, I just want that for everyone, right? I want as many people who can read about the area and be inspired to go. Particularly, I think we are, you know, I know I personally am more aware of the fact that there are barriers and the outdoor space is not as inclusive as I would like it to be for minorities and people of color. So I'm hoping that this will just play a small part in helping to make the outdoor space a little bit more inclusive. And the Payton Institute is really, really cool. So I have a fundraising page. I also have, Haley, if you remember from the long trail, I called that Project Wandlin. And so this is like Wandlin part two. And Wandlin is a German word. It means it's a verb and it means to walk and it also means to change. And so that was just kind of why I picked it because these these big projects that I, I pull out, you know, one, I'm walking quite a bit in, in all of them. And two, like, I feel like I come out the other side a little bit different. So I had Wandelin trucker hats made for the long trail and I actually made a big batch for this project. And so um, if you donate $46 or more, you will have the opportunity to get a Wandelin trucker hat while they last um, and a tube of noon hydration. So that is incentive to do it. But if you donate any amount, you will also be um, entered into a drawing for a Smash Fest Queen gift card. So a lot of things going on, a lot of incentives to donate, but any amount helps. And if you can't donate, then virtual cheers are always, always appreciated in this type of thing. How do we track you? How do we track you and how do we um, donate? So my tracking link I will post um, in the in the couple days before. So stay tuned on my Instagram there. I will definitely have the tracking link there. I will have the links to donate there on Facebook, all of that. And uh, yeah, I'll have that all sorted. I'm, this is like the week when it all comes together, but watch social media. It'll all be up there and uh, support if you can. Okay. I like that. Watch social media. We'll be sure the Iron Women podcast social links up with that as well so that all of our listeners can follow you and follow your race, donate to this amazing cause, get one of those trucker hats. Alyssa, I'm really excited for you. This is going to be fun. 46 peaks in less than four days. Thanks, Haley. It's going to be really hard, but it will be fun. And I'm excited to then be able to tell all of you about it. But Haley, that's not our only big news of the day because we also have some big news with who we interviewed today. I think you and I are both super stoked about this interview that we have next. I am super stoked about this interview and I was like so excited about this interview. But Alyssa, this is just an exciting week 
in United States history because August 18th is this coming Tuesday, the day after you start your next project. It actually marks the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And that amendment did finally grant all U.S. women the federal right to vote. So to celebrate 100 years of American women's suffrage, we are very excited to talk with Bridget Quinn. Bridget is an Iron Woman triathlete and the author of the brand new book, She Votes, How U.S. Women Won Suffrage and What Happened Next. Bridget talks us through some of the bigger moments in U.S. women's suffrage history, and we also talk about some of her personal takes on history and how we can apply the lessons of the past to today and keep the what happened next momentum rolling for another hundred years. We'll have our conversation with Bridget Quinn right after the break. Alyssa, what do popsicles, jello, and slushies all have in common? Hmm, they all taste like summer? Yes, but also they can all be made with noon hydration sport tabs. I have to say, it seems like the perfect way to fully embrace summer while staying properly hydrated. Agreed. If you want to make your own noon popsicles, jello, or slushies, head to noonlife.com and use the code LIVEFEISTY. That's one word with a capital L and a capital F to get 30% off your order. Also check out Noon's new podium series for pre-workout prime, during workout endurance, and post-workout recover products. That's code LIVEFEISTY at noonlife.com for 30% off. And be sure to let us know about all your summertime tasty noon hydration creations. Hi, Bridget. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you. I'm so psyched to be here. We are so honored to talk to you, and this is happening just before the celebration of the 100th anniversary of American women earning the right to vote, and just before the very appropriately timed release of your new book, She Votes, How U.S. Women Won Suffrage and What Happened Next. I'm guessing the timing is not coincidental, but why did you decide to write a book about U.S. women's suffrage? Uh, well, first of all, I love that you said women earned the right, because sometimes people say when women were given the right and there was nothing passive in it ever, women fought for over 70 years for the right to vote. Some of them died for the right. <laughs> and that's why it's an important story to tell and one that has been overlooked in American history. So, Bridget, the 19 chapters of your book are organized roughly chronologically, running from Abigail yeah. Adams' 1776 letter to her husband, future President John Adams, requesting equal democratic rights for women, all the way through the election of more than 100 women to the U.S. House of Representatives in 2018, covering nearly the entire history of the United States through the lens of women's voting rights and all in a little more than 200 pages. So why was it important for you to include what happened next rather than stopping the book with women winning suffrage in 1920? Well, because that's only part of the story, right? It's, it's with winning the right to vote and making women's voices heard that political history begins to happen in the United States as influenced by women. And so it was really important to me to kind of bring the story up to date. And also because it's so easy to look on those times uh, whether it's the Seneca Falls Convention of 1848 or Ida B. Wells marching in Washington, D.C. in 1913 and think that's so long ago. 
but so many of those issues and issues sound so bland. So many of those struggles are still important today. We're still working through all of them in many ways, whether it's women's control of their own bodies or women's control of their own space. The book is also gorgeous, and it includes illustrations by 100 women artists. So you have a background in art history. Did you find these 100 women artists and coordinate the whole illustration process yourself? I did not. Thank goodness. I had amazing art directors and editors at Chronicle Books, which makes the most beautiful art books and books in America, helping me every step of the way, which thank goodness, because you know just from getting on this call together with the three of us, that coordinating things can be difficult. So imagine coordinating a hundred artists and a writer. Like that's a lot of herding cats, which I'm not really good at. (laughs) A lot of herding cats (laughs) and a lot of like juggling balls in the air, I'm sure, which is so, but it it came together beautifully in the end. Thank you. I think it's so beautiful. I, I would like to say, why am I on this podcast and explain that a little bit? Like why a history of women's suffrage on the Iron Women podcast? Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. And that is because so much of women's rights are tied up with women's sports and women's athletic endeavors, whether it was being, quote unquote, allowed to ride bicycles or play basketball in the 19th century or Title IX in the 1970s. And I, I wish I had the, the um, statistic at hand, but some incredibly high number of women who have been elected to national office played sports in college. And I think that's just a really um, underknown part of the story of women's rights is women's embrace of the sporting life and the ability to express ourselves through sports. I think I recently saw an article and I should have like dug into this now that we're bringing this up because it's really going to test my memory too. But I want to say it was a, a female in Wisconsin, a Supreme Court judge at like the state level, I guess. I'm not, again, this is really testing my ability to tell like the brief snippet that I read, but she was like doing a 100 mile virtual race, right? And like stopped in the middle of that to be sworn into this position. So I think you're absolutely right that the sporting aspect goes hand in hand with the women having the endurance to kind of persevere through these struggles. And as you said in the beginning, earn these rights, like the right to vote, right? Which has been kind of this, the struggle for quite a long time. But as you said, also, it it was not that long ago at the same time. Right. And it was, you know, not even just a marathon. It was an ultra marathon. The women who initiated the push for the right to vote didn't see it happen, but they kept going. It's super inspirational, I think. And I remember last year, I think the intro to the Iron Women podcast had that moment when Jock Semple grabs Catherine Switzer on the course at Boston, the Boston Marathon, which people sometimes don't know that women weren't even allowed to run the marathon at all until the late 60s, early 70s, and not in the Olympics until the 80s. This is not ancient history. That story is a little bit in she votes as well. I loved reading that part of the book. And I also love that you bring this up because I think sometimes I'm guilty of feeling like sports are trivial and they don't matter. And that, you know, maybe my, my whole life is dedicated to something that shouldn't be, you know, or is very, very insignificant, but that helps me feel like sports do matter entirely and sports do teach us things. But going back to, to women's suffrage, the 1848 Seneca Falls convention is often marked as the first women's rights convention. And Despite happening 72 years after that Abigail Adams letter, women's suffrage was still a very controversial subject. So the Declaration of Rights and Sentiments that was presented in Seneca Falls included a resolution about women's suffrage 
only at the insistence of one woman, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who went against the advice of her husband and fellow feminists. So has researching and writing about women like Elizabeth Cady Stanton made you believe that one person can really make a difference? Absolutely. Without question, one person. But one person standing up, one person to have guts, but also one person who is supported and embedded in a community that supports her. So yes, Elizabeth Cady Stanton said, I'm going to put voting rights into the Declaration of Rights and Sentiments. Everyone thought that was insane. Uh, Her husband, by the way, was not some judgmental jerk. He was an important abolitionist. He helped her as a lawyer to create sort of the legal framework of the Declaration of Rights and Sentiments. But he just thought the idea of women voting was, it was unimaginably crazy. And he said, why go there? You're just going to alienate people. But she, she persevered. And those women and her husband came around her when she made that choice. And in fact, the, the person who stood up and really saved the day in the moment at Seneca Falls was Frederick Douglass. You know, without the voice of this awesome, black, freed slave, orator, famous, respected man, um, it might never have been carried forward in the way that it was. So it, it takes everyone's voices and it takes courage by one person. Bridget, another thing that we found surprising about the Seneca Falls Convention was who wasn't there, Susan B. Anthony. She would eventually become incredibly well-known as a woman suffragist to the point where she was showcased on the dollar coin, but she was not an early adopter of the movement. Do you think that Susan B. Anthony's rise in the suffragist ranks shows that it's okay to be a little late to the party as long as you kind of make up for lost time, maybe? Absolutely. For one thing, it's okay to change your mind, and it's okay to forgive yourself for coming late to the party. Um, That being said, she was a few years late, uh, but not terribly late. Um, She wasn't at the Seneca Falls Convention. She wasn't actually at the conventions uh, in the next couple of months that followed Seneca Falls. But once she joined, she became really, I mean, it was her whole life. She was dedicated for many, many decades, probably five, to promoting suffrage. It was her, her primary push in life without question. In fact, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was widely known as the Susan B. Anthony Amendment at the time it was proposed and passed. Things got pretty ugly for the suffragists following the passage of the 15th Amendment in 1870, which said the right to vote could not be denied on the basis of race. And you actually write in your own self-described sweary style that many suffragists lost their shit. Why do you think race and gender became such conflicting issues in the fight for voting rights? Partly because they lost their shit. And I think we've seen we've seen with a lot of so-called liberal white women in this moment with Black Lives Matter that uh, in moments of pressure, they default to racist statements or racist actions because they're swimming in a racist society and because we all have this internalized racism in ourselves that we need to work against and to kind of root out in ourselves. And, you know, women like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton had begun as activists, as abolitionists. They believed in the rights of black men and women in the United States, that they should be equal rights with whites. They can believe that though, and still hold racist viewpoints. And that came out really clearly in the 15th amendment when Basically, black men got the right to vote before women. And 
both of those two who were leaders of the suffrage movement just immediately took offense and went on offense in a way that is so painful to read about and so destructive to feminism, to women's liberation, and is kind of the, um, you might call it the, the foundational sin of white feminism, which is that they did not recognize, and that continued to be a problem with, um, with white feminism in America, recognize the difference that black women had in their lives as compared to the lives of white women. So yes, they were suffering from gender inequity, but they were also suffering from racial inequity. And that was something it took, I mean, even now we're reckoning with in feminism in the United States. Yeah, I was going to say that conversation back then is just as just as timely right now, for sure. And yeah, it's shocking how often that's the case. It seems like one reason women's suffrage took so long was because women were relying on men voting to enfranchise them. And while the men might have had their own fears about what might happen if women could vote, there were also a lot of women who were actively campaigning against women's suffrage. So can you kind of dig into that a little bit and tell us about why women wouldn't want the ability to vote? Uh, I think it's partly the same reason why women who were active wanting rights for women could be blind to rights for people of color in the United States. It's that these women who were called the antis, the anti-suffragists, very often were sort of living in a patriarchal society and and experiencing the benefits of that society and did not want change. So, for example, if you're um, a woman who feels like, okay, you know, my husband makes all the decisions and I do everything in the home and make all the decisions there, then we have a kind of separate but equal sphere of influence. Um, and I don't want to rock that boat. Um, so that's, that's one way of looking at it, right? That they're kind of indoctrinated into this way of thinking. But what's incredible about the antis is how vocal, political, active, or, and organized they were in pushing against votes for women. It's it's a bizarre story in some ways. I can't think of another corollary example. Um, and they came very close to winning. Um, the antis in Tennessee in 1920 almost prevailed. The 19th Amendment was passed by one vote in the House of Representatives in Tennessee. And it was a man who changed his vote from anti to suffrage because his mother sent him a note asking him to. So given the current events, the idea of these women who were were, were pro-suffrage, they picketed outside the White House or they were marching just before a presidential inauguration. So that, given current times, that would seem normal because I feel like that happens all the time now. Yep. But these ideas were pretty new in 1913 when suffragists adopted them. So when you look back at the measures that the suffragists took to get the president's attention 100 years ago, are you impressed? Absolutely. I mean, it was unthinkable. It had literally never been done before. No one had ever thought to protest outside the White House. And a group of suffragists under um, a woman named Alice Paul, who'd been influenced by uh, women who were maybe more radical in Britain, who were called suffragettes. We often use that phrase suffragette, but it's actually the British term and American suffragists prefer the word suffragist. Um, Alice Paul said, okay, we're not getting anywhere and we are going to protest. It's interesting that they protested silently. So they stood with banners, they were called the silent sentinels, outside the White House 
for months and months. I mean, if you've been to Washington, D.C., um, it's very, very, very cold in the winter and very, very hot in the summer. And they stood there day after day from morning till dark, often assaulted by men, um, spit on, kicked their banners torn. Um, Later, Woodrow Wilson would have them arrested for blocking the sidewalk, and eventually they were tortured by force feeding um, when they were imprisoned for blocking the sidewalk. Women went through a lot. They were pretty badass. (laughs) So I want to take a moment to like fangirl Jeanette Rankin. Yes, please. Because um, Jeanette Rankin was the first woman to hold federal office in the United States, and she won Montana's seat in the U.S. House of Representatives in 1916. She was a voting member of Congress before U.S. women had a federal right to vote. And we often have women on this podcast, and we'll ask them, "What, what is it like to be the first at something? And do you feel there's more pressure because your role is the first. So you also have a connection to Montana and I'm sure are a somewhat of a fan of Jeanette Rankin, at least. Do you think she felt pressure being the first woman to hold federal office? She absolutely felt pressure. And what's incredible about Jeanette Rankin is that she felt that pressure and did it anyway. First, I just want to say um, I'm from Montana. (laughs) And so there's a lot of Montana content in the book because Western women are often forgotten in the history of suffrage. It's kind of an East Coast story, but there were so many incredible women in the West who worked and, you know, suffered and died in some cases for women getting the right to vote. Um, Jeanette Rankin is one of the examples of Uh, you know, an incredible moment, which is that a woman ran for office. Montana had states' rights for women's votes, but not federal rights. And so they elected um, a representative from Montana who was a woman before women could vote nationally. Um, Worth saying that it was mostly Western states who had those rights. They were the first to grant women's suffrage on any level um, in the United States. Uh, Jeanette Rankin comes to the Capitol Of course, you know, all the writing, for example, the New York Times talks about her beautiful hair, how she's single and her office is across from a single man and, you know, all this innuendo and not very interested in her depth as a politician. They actually got her hair color wrong also, which I find interesting. And then she realizes that she is going to be, you know, the stand in for all women, whatever she does. And the first vote that's called when she takes her seat is entry into World War One, which was very controversial. And Jeanette Rankin was a pacifist. And so she voted against the war, which infuriated many suffragists because they saw it as an example of women being blamed for being weak, for not being able to make manly choices. Um, I see it as a woman who knew her position, who held deep beliefs and didn't waver from them. Bridget, we touched on this a little bit, but I want to reiterate some of it because I think it's an important part for our listeners to really kind of wrap their minds around. But the the path to passing an amendment in the U.S. Constitution is very steep. It requires approval by two-thirds of both the U.S. House and Senate and then ratification by three-quarters of the states. So on August 18, 1920, the Tennessee House voted yes on women's suffrage, meeting the final state ratification requirement by a single vote. Just last week, the Trump administration designated the Hermitage Hotel in Nashville a national historic site, as it was the headquarters of both the suffragists and the anti-suffragists in the lead up to that historical vote. Do you have any thoughts on celebrating the centennial with this national historic site designation? 
Uh, well, first of all, I love that the hotel is being considered a historic site because it truly is. After you buy and read She Votes, please do, you all need to buy and read um, The Woman's Hour by Elaine Weiss because she talks about the whole book is about the fight in Nashville that comes down to one vote. I mean, think about that. One vote is the reason why we have the right to vote as women. It's, it could have taken years or decades longer. It was a moment of his, in history that had to be seized. Um, and the Hermitage Hotel was a place where, um, I mean, the things that went down there are so crazy. Like there, it was during Prohibition, but there was a room called the Jack Daniels Room where antis would bring in um, legislators and get them drunk and try to get them to switch their their allegiance to anti, and it worked in many cases. They also sometimes seduced men um, and took kind of blackmaily photos of them <laughs> in order to get them to change their vote. Um, just the great, great stories around the hotel. Carrie Chapman Catt, who was the leader of the pro-suffrage movement, uh, stayed there for many weeks. Um, I mean, it's just a, it's like if the walls could talk, the stories it could tell would be absolutely enthralling. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great designation. I love that it's not a federal building, but just a place where so, so much history went down. And you mentioned this earlier, but the credit for that vote in Tennessee is often given to Harry Byrne, a 22-year-old who initially planned to vote no, but received a letter from his mother encouraging him to vote yes. And you actually include the name of his mother, Feb Ensminger Byrne, in your book. Yeah. So why was it important to you that she be named? Because women are so often anonymous in history or overlooked. Yes, Harry Byrne cast the vote. He, he was the only person who could. But um, his mother, Feb, is the reason his vote changed. It's the reason we have the vote. And I think her name deserves to be historically noted as much as his. Um, there are a lot of other places in the book where I'm, I, I'm careful and want to name names. Um, one of the, the other stories is about this women's basketball team from Montana in the early 20th century of uh, Native women from the Fort Shaw Indian School who, you know, were a legendary basketball team. And they're always described or often described as the team, but I really wanted to name their names so that we can try to remember them. 1920 is now often marked as the year when white women won the right to vote since voter suppression, especially targeted at racial minority groups, continues to even today. I realize that this is like a big question to throw at you, but what are your <laughs> thoughts and feelings on why voting rights has been and continues to be such a massive problem to solve? Oh, there's so many. Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't even think I'm the person to ask. I think um, people would do really well if they're interested in this topic to follow Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Um, she has some, you know, amazing um, organizations that are rooting out and dealing with voter suppression. I mean, from everywhere from gerrymandering to creating just, you know, creating districts where voting can happen in a way that's sort of predetermined to poll taxes during the Jim Crow era to today. I mean, we just saw like, or, or even better, you know, the limitations on voting by mail um, during a time of, of the COVID crisis. Like if we can't vote by mail, we're going to be taking our lives in our hands to go wait in line maybe um, maybe for hours and hours at a time to vote. So uh, it, it's, it's a way of taking away our voice and it is essential that everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what 
political designation you have pushes against that. The more we vote, the more our voices are heard, the richer our society is for that. When voter suppression happens, we don't have representation. And when we don't have representation, we don't have democracy. If we don't have democracy, we're not America. So a lot is at stake. Bridget, as you mentioned earlier, this is an endurance sports podcast and you are an endurance sports athlete. Your book jacket even describes you as an iron woman. We love that. (laughs) And from your writing, I know you were an athletic child in the 1970s. So I'm curious about the passage of Title IX. You write about it in She Votes, but I'm also curious about your personal experience. Did the passage of Title IX in 1972 affect your life? Yeah, I think it changed everything. I'm the eighth of nine children. I have two older sisters who are both 10 years older than me, around 10 years older than me, and they went to high school right as Title IX was being passed. I went to high school 10 years after Title IX was passed, and the differences were huge. Um, one of my sisters was, I think, what was it called? Drill team, I guess. Um, the drill team and maybe swam a little. My other sister um, was a cheerleader and also swam a little, but the swimming was part of well, let me just say this. I swam for Gus's guppies, later called the Great Falls guppies, who were um, state champs, I think, in 1979. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anyway, they just didn't have the opportunity to play sports in high school in the same way that I did. They didn't have, I was playing basketball by the time I was in grade school. I was on the softball team. Um, I also swam. I had all of these ways to build teamwork with other women, to build my will. And also to see other women in a different light, as active, as strong, as capable, as supporting each other. And I think you can't, you can't underestimate the influence that has on a developing young woman. I mean, I feel like if I hadn't had that, who would my role models have been? I don't know. But, but women athletes were my role models from a really young age, and it's essential to who I became. I, I think my sisters have had great lives. I'm not saying that. But for me, it meant everything to, to what I value in womanhood and who I admire. In the interest of time, we are going to have to gloss over much of the what happened next section of your book. But we did want to touch specifically on the rise of Riot Girl a 1990s punk rock magazine. So that's uh, G-I-R-R-L with, for the magazine and specifically the use of the word girl. You write how older women had worked so hard to be called women and being called girls on a triathlon broadcast is sometimes like a very sensitive thing. And some people have worked very hard to kind of change that narrative to be women. And on the Iron Women podcast, you know, we feel that way as well. So do you have personal thoughts on the term of girl? Um, it, so it's girl, G-R-R-R-L, no I, like grr, like growling. Um, my personal thoughts are twofold. One is um, that I think for me personally, it's fine either way. Um, it's the intention behind girl, not the word itself. But more importantly, um, I want to see women empowered. I want to see women use their own voices. And so what I really like is for women to allow other women to speak in the way that they feel empowered speaking. And um, for example, I have a little bit of vocal fry in my voice because I went to high school for a couple of years in Southern California. I developed a kind of SoCal Valley girl accent that I've never been able to completely shake. 
And I've often been um, gotten notes from other women saying, you know, try not to do that. And I just feel like, you know, let's let's support each other's voices. However, um, doesn't mean you can't have constructive criticism. I get that totally. But but also a, a phrase like girl, if it's celebratory, if it's powerful, if it's used in a way that that people find uplifting, then I'm for it completely. Also, Girls Gone Gravel is another podcast uh, with Liv Feisty that I listen to, and I really like it. <laughs> I'm glad you we're glad you listened to that one. Um, after researching and writing your book, I it, this is probably a hard question, but I am curious if there was one feminist living or dead, <sighs> who you could have a socially distant cup of coffee or maybe a zoom call with, who would it be? Oh, my God, that is so hard. Um, okay, well, first of all, I got to be do a zoom event with Gloria Steinem last month. And that was kind of a dream come true. It was amazing. But if there's any uh, feminist of the past that I could sit down and have a coffee, cup of coffee with, it would probably be Audre Lorde, who was a poet um, and activist, um, lesbian activist, black activist, uh, cancer survivor. Um, she just, for me, was so, so brave and also a great artist as a poet. And I'm so in awe of that. And I would love to sit down with her. What was it like to talk to Gloria Steinem? It was crazy. I had this moment of thinking, wow, you know, um, charisma and and the weight of history, like not the weight in a heavy way, but the accumulated weight of history in her, it really came through even in Zoom. Like I felt kind of tingly talking to her. <laughs> she was incredible. It was great. Well, I feel like we've barely touched on the great stories included in She Votes, not to mention that podcasting isn't exactly the best medium for showcasing all of the 100 gorgeous illustrations that are there. But we believe that the release date is August 11th. So what is the best way for our listeners to get their hands on your book? Um, Well, I always think it's great to support your local bookstore because they really need you right now. And so if you have a bookstore that is yours, you can connect with them directly and ask them to get the book for you. Most bookstores do curbside pickup right now. Um, There's also a great uh, resource called Bookshop, um, which is, I think it's bookshop.org. And they have books. For, for, that, that are represented, um, they represent independent bookstores across the country. So you can pick yours and still order it electronically from them. Did that make sense? What I just said? You just do it just like Amazon, but you can then choose your bookstore and the, the sale goes to them. Or you can always go through Amazon. And I actually just found out today that She Votes was um, called, listed, whatever, as a best book of the month in history by Amazon today. So um, a redeeming quality from Amazon. <laughs> we'll, we'll celebrate those when they can. Bridget, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been a really enlightening conversation. And I also, I also just love your, your perspective on so many of these historic women and, um, really appreciate your work. And definitely we will encourage everyone to get she votes and we'll link to all those, um, sites in our show notes and hopefully people will celebrate this centennial and um reading is a great reading and learning about it is a great way to celebrate thank you so much thank you it was a thrill to be on with you love this podcast triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt 
That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelio's products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Iron Women is proud to be supported by Form Goggles in 2020. Form Goggles are the only swim goggles with a smart display that delivers metrics like split times, distance, pace, and more. And it's built right into the goggle lens. You can also analyze your metrics outside of the pool with the Form Swim app, because what triathlete doesn't love data? Head to formswim.com to learn more about the Form Swim goggles and pick up the missing link to your swim bag. Alyssa, I know I'm speaking for amazing figures in history, but I have to believe that Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, Ida B. Wells, Alice Paul, Carrie Chapman Cat, all of these amazing women's suffragists that we just talked to Bridget about would be so thrilled that you are celebrating the centennial of the ratification of the 19th Amendment by running a little more than 100 miles by summiting 46 high peaks in New York State, which we know that New York State played such a big role in a lot of the women's suffrage activities that were happening a hundred or more years ago. Do you feel like it's a good way to celebrate? I, I think so. I mean, I don't know what better way I would rather celebrate anything than by doing something really hard in the woods. So yeah, I hope they're proud. Um, and I hope to make them proud, I guess, um, through, through my effort. So I'm excited. And then you'll vote in November, of course. And then I, yes, of course, <laughs> to really like, yeah, to solidify how proud of everything that I am. <laughs> and for all of our listeners, Bridget's book, again, is called She Votes, How U.S. Women Won Suffrage and What Happened Next. You can get it from your local bookstore or wherever you get your books anytime after August 11th. So it's already out there in the world. Definitely check it out. It's a beautiful book. So much good information in there. So easy to read and well-written. And if you are a fan of Bridget and her writing, she's also the author of a really great short story about growing up and swimming and Montana, which are, of course, three of my own favorite topics. The essay is called At Swim, Two Girls, and it was originally published in Narrative Magazine and was included in the Best American Sports Writing of 2013. And Alyssa, it made me like emotional reading this essay. It was like, I stayed up one night and I just like couldn't, I was like, I'm just going to read a little bit of it and go to bed. And I couldn't stop. It was just like, it, it hits on all those like heartstrings. So we'll include a link to that essay in our show notes as well. Sounds good, Haley. I, I guess I'll be talking to you in, well, I'll, I'll let you know how things are going kind of next week through a surprise update maybe, but we'll, we'll get the full download in a couple weeks. I'm so excited to hear about it. I'm wishing you the best of luck, Alyssa. I'll be following that tracker and cheering you on virtually. Good luck. Have fun out there. And I'll talk to you again soon. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Taylor Mahan Rudolph. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear, as well as the Live Feisty Patreon community. 
You can find websites and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com.